Hey there. Okay, I, I don't have my thing pulled up, and I'm just going to... I'm going to pull that up and, and do it properly. <laughs> I'm keeping that in the pod. <laughs> uh, you know, you probably should. <laughs> hey, everybody, and welcome to Cinema on Tap, your weekly movie podcast with a refreshing selection of movie reviews and industry topics on tap for discussion. We've got a rotating lineup of reviews, top fives, and, of course, beer. I'm Scott Lenz, here with my intoxicating co-host, Christian Ubius. Now, Christian, uh, listeners with attentive ears may notice that last week on this show, I said I wanted to find a new adjective to describe you, because mm-hmm. I can't call you intoxicating and, and gas you up every episode. I don't want your confidence to, to grow too much. And, you know. Absolutely not. We need to tear me down. And so what happened is I uh, originally, I, I actually referred to you as my drunken co-host because now we're cinema on tap, right? And yeah. we were recording uh, a day prior to the to today as we're sitting here we having this conversation. Yesterday. And yeah, we recorded yesterday. near the very end of our recording session, my computer restarted. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, it did. I lost all of my audio and I am not. That is true what uh what people might call smart and so i did not have Mm. my phone recording additional audio for me just in case so we lost over an hour's worth of conversation and now we get to record again the following evening guess what so we're talking about barbie for the second day in a row that's right folks christian is intoxicating and we're talking about barbie for the (laughs) second day in a row and it's going to be fantastic if you've been following along with the new branding that we've got here for the show we are Formerly Cinema Drip, presently Cinema on Tap. And the keg that we tapped this month to get our cinematic fill is big releases from this summer and specifically from July. Talking through Mission Impossible a couple weeks ago, Oppenheimer last week, and now Barbie for the second time. And you know what, Christian? My spirits are still high, pun intended. I'm feeling great. I don't know what is the best way to approach this conversation because obviously we're not going to say the same things that we said yesterday. But in order to keep this fresh and good as a podcast, I do think that we should be, um, I don't know, maybe maybe switching up just a tad bit from the things that we talked about yesterday, maybe to keep it tighter, maybe to 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 encourage us to to think broadly about the things that we are discussing. And so let's let's see. Is that we, you we talking started... in code telling me to to stop rambling so much and just get to the point when I'm speaking? Is that what that was? I don't need a talking code to tell you that you are the reason these episodes are over an hour long. Oh, baby, it's true. I love to chat. What can I say? Okay, so let's talk about the state of the industry, which we mention basically every single week. That's We right. will talk a tad bit about the state of the industry. And honestly, I, I want to um, I, I focus this in, what we were able to bring up yesterday. We have been seeing a July that is chock full of... Of amazing movies. I mean, we covered banger after banger every single week. July was an unbelievable month for movies, whether financially, looking at the box office from Barbenheimer, but of course other movies were successful, like Mission Impossible, like Insidious, The Red Door, like Sound of Freedom, which is not a discussion that I want to wade into, but lots of financially successful movies, plus just good movies being released in general, for the most part. There's, sure, some not-so-great movies too, but plenty of well-received movies in addition to all the money that was made i don't want to wade into the sound of freedom discussion either because i've seen sound of freedom and i do not think it's a bad movie i actually think there are a lot of strengths to it but when i look up reviews for it it's either people who 
hate the people who made the movie or people who love the movie and say nothing about what the movie is. So, you know what? That's why I didn't even put it on Letterboxd. I'm like, you know what? We're going to skip this. Movie's not bad. I don't think it's a bad time at the movie theaters. I, I just I, I just dislike everyone who's been talking about this movie. So, with that, there is nothing on the horizon right now. I mean, there is, there is, we, we've talked about this. What's coming up? Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle is coming up next week, Christian. Gran Turismo. Gran Turismo coming after that. We Bottoms, eventually... Bottoms is coming up, which Bottoms yesterday up. I, I alluded to the fact that we had a mysterious movie that we'll be covering on the show, but might as well tell folks we will be discussing Bottoms and some other movies of its genre. So if you have not heard of it, look up the trailer, maybe skim the Wikipedia page. It's shaping up to be a good one. So I'm looking forward to that. But there's, I'm looking forward to Bottoms as well, but there's nothing, I, I, I don't know, there's, there's nothing big that I think is going to be a massive box office draw until Dune Part 2. I think Dune Part 2 is the next time where, look, I didn't even really like Dune Part 1. Yeah, that was a but, fun episode of the show. <laughs> that was an, in, that was an incredibly fun episode of this show, but... I will say, I mean, I'm looking forward to being in a movie theater chock full of people who are looking forward to seeing a movie. And, oh, oh, okay, actually, th there is an update, which which I am able to give today and I was not able to talk about yesterday. Did you watch the teaser trailer for Maestro that I sent you? I I actually saw it before you sent it, so I, I keep myself apprised of all of the good stuff going on in the trailer world. Don't worry. For... For everyone who does not know, Maestro is the second directorial outing for one Bradley Cooper after A Star is Born, which is the movie that everyone watched in 2018. Bro, this trailer got me so giddy. Good trailer. I cannot wait for this movie. It was my most anticipated movie of the year at the end of last year, and I'm... I'm stoked. I'm stoked. I'm stoked. I can't wait. I do. I cannot wait. I will say, Maestro is a movie about Leonard Bernstein, who is uh, the you know the, the noted composer who I do not know too much about. So I'm looking forward to the movie version of his life. I will say it's a Netflix release, and I'm curious to see if that will impact its box office because I'm sure that Netflix is going to want to hype this up and they're saying that theaters are coming back in a big way this year and that might be worth it but Netflix typically just releases their films in New York and LA gets a limited run and then puts them up on the platform so that more eyes will will watch of course for people who are watching from the comfort of their own homes but I'm curious to see if they will have a more robust theatrical presence or if Maestro is going to be one of those movies that makes you know one million dollars at the box office because a bunch of people see it in new york and la and then it just goes to netflix i think it's just i mean it's gonna go to netflix and not get a wide run because it's it's only getting select theaters which means it's going to be here at like the amc in century city it's going to be it's some amcs in new york a couple other places and then it's done it's it's there's no way it's gonna do a wide release which makes me sad but also i mean glass onion glass onion made what 30 million dollars at the box office or i'm um, 18 no there's no way um let's let's find out i saw that in theaters and i was so glad that i did because it was awesome to see with the crowd it made 15 at the box office so okay. it made 15 that's where we landed glass onion made 15 million dollars at the box office 
just being released for a week. But they brought it. They put it back in theaters, didn't they? If I remember correctly. Nope. nope. And then went into Netflix on Christmas Day, and it did gangbusters on Netflix. That it did. Uh, it's still a method of showing movies that we are starting to see based on the last few years that I think is starting to die out, especially as we've seen the success of Barbenheimer drove billions of pe- of dollars worth of people to the movies. These, these two combined are approaching $2 billion. And I just do not foresee streamers continuing to get these high-profile films from big filmmakers featuring big stars and just dumping them onto their services. I I really don't know. And, th- and part of that depends on the outcome of okay. the strikes because that's there, one, that is one thing that the writers are striking about is getting more insight into these, these streaming numbers and getting more fair compensation for their work after it's become a hit on a streaming service as opposed to a traditional television network. But, but there's a difference between Gal Gadot being in Heart of Stone, which I have not seen, and I only discovered when I opened the Netflix app. That movie truly feels like someone said, hey – Apparently we have this. Let's put it on this service. And something like a glass onion or like a maestro or like a, I'm trying to think of what, I don't know, power of the dog, which they are trying to hype up beforehand. Yeah, but I I don't know. We'll see. We will see. There are, there have been plenty of movies. I mean, think from earlier this year, I've been scanning the letterbox 2023 page just to kind of fit in some movies that I, I missed from earlier this year. And think about a movie like ghosted, which came out on Apple TV Plus, was a big-budget action-adventure movie with Ana de Armas and with Chris Evans. And I don't think I've heard a single person that I know in real life talk about the movie. I don't I don't think I know anybody who watched it. And those two are very famous. They were just in, the speaking of Glass Onion, they were just in Knives Out together. <laughs> and this is their big return to their cinematic partnership, and it just got dumped on Apple TV. But you, it's... I, I mean, I, I would see Billboard Torah driving around. Right, but, but we live in L.A. You know? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. It's like I would see Billboard Torah lying around. I didn't see a single, like, I didn't see a single trailer for it. I didn't see a single person promote it. I do think, well, honestly, promotions right now are really limited because of the strikes. I do think Maestro is going to get something of a push. And, and I'm sure it will. Bradley Cooper, though he is on strike as a writer and on strike as an actor, I think he has directing. I, I, I don't know. But if you're like an actor, a writer, and a director, I, I, I want to I, – I'm not entirely sure what your responsibilities as a director are because the DGA is not on strike. Right. There have been some directors appearing at, at press events for their movies, coming out, premieres and things, and somebody inevitably will say, what are they doing there? And then they realize that, hey, they are – not on strike right now. Directors are allowed to be there, and obviously they would want to promote their work, especially if the actors and writers you know, can't. So, it's not even that you're not allowed to be on strike as a director. Like I, the DGA says, you 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 must be promoting the movie in order to be a part of the union. So there are responsibilities. So we're not entirely sure. We're not entirely sure. We're not entirely sure. But guys, look. We're going to enjoy the last week we have of Barbenheimer, and by that I mean the last week we have of discussing Barbenheimer on this podcast, because the industry is really, really weird. And also, I would love to give, at the beginning of each episode, a review for the for the movies that we've been seeing. I mean, I guess I saw Haunted Mansion, but there's nothing new that I, I'm really excited to be talking with y'all about that y'all are excited to hear about. Maybe next week to start the show, we should give a mini review for Blue Beetle. Who knows? 
I will not personally be seeing that film. So I would be happy to talk through your review of it, Christian. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, guess what movie I'm watching tonight? You are watching Strays, the the dog comedy Is with Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx. No, but you see advanced screening sometimes, so I thought that's what you were seeing. I am watching Meg 2, The Trench. Ah, Meg 2, The Trench. <laughs> A movie that notably debuted with a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes before more reviews rolled in. I watched... Now it's at 23. I watched the Meg, the original Meg, on a flight from Los Angeles to Taipei in Taiwan. And that is where I saw the Meg originally. I remember nothing about that film. Not a thing. There's a Meg in it. There There is a Meg. And there is a Jason Statham. Jason Statham yes. is hunting down this enormous sea creature who eats some people along the way. And that's what I remember. And that's about All it. All I remember from the trailer, for, I haven't seen the first Meg, but I don't think I need it for continuity. That being said, I haven't seen Jackass forever, because I think that if I don't watch Jackass 2 and Jackass 3D, I'll get lost. Yeah, there's a lot to keep track of. I, I will say, <laughs> I have not seen all the jackass movies i did watch jackass forever last year i had seen jackass 3 in like high school probably i don't think i've ever seen jackass 2 and i ended up watching the original jackass movie before watching forever so i haven't seen them all and i did not miss out on too much so maybe you can get around to that christian a little 2022 cleanup you know some major releases you missed from last year and go and enjoy that um treasure of a film I'm excited because uh, I found a friend who is down to watch bad movies with me. And honestly, sometimes you do need bad movies. I love to watch bad movies, Christian. What bad movie are... But you don't have AMC. No. No, I don't. And and to be fair, I don't love watching bad movies in the theater because there's there are a few worse feelings than paying quite a bit of money for a movie ticket in this great city of Los Angeles and sitting down in the theater and hating what you watch. So I like There's to watch bad movies on streaming about services. seeing your jaw drop in real time. My jaw? No, my jaw oh, drop okay. in real time. So I'm like, damn, I can't believe they actually, okay, we need to get started. Let's talk about Barbie. <laughs> Alrighty, folks. Uh, that, there's our little taster. Our little taster for the week. A little three ounces, you know, in that in that small little glass for you to, to get a sniff of, to sip on some recent releases, some upcoming releases. We didn't get to talk about the September month of sequels, such such films as My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, Expend 4 Bulls, you know, all these great movies coming out, Christian. But hey, we can just start talking about Barbie now, if we must. Cool. So, Barbie. Now, Christian. I'm going to ask you this question for the second time because I asked it yesterday and you were perplexed. So I'm going to give you a second chance here. In light of the fact that we are talking about Barbie, what kind of beer do you think I'm drinking as we record this podcast? You are drinking a blonde ale. That's right. There you go. Good job. I bought this same six pack. (laughs) (laughs) that this beer is coming from. So I'm enjoying a nice blonde ale today as we get into our discussion of Barbie. I am enjoying a nice Stella Artois, which is different than the stout I was enjoying yesterday because I needed to mix it up a little bit. Variety is the spice of life, Christian. This This is a good principle to live by. Barbie was released on July 21st alongside a little movie called Oppenheimer. A little teeny tiny Oppenheimer. 
Teeny, Teeny, Tiny Oppenheimer. Barbie was written by Greta Gerwig and Dolan Baumbach, and it was directed by Greta Gerwig. She of movies such as Lady Bird and Little Women. It stars Margot Robbie and also Ryan Gosling and also Kate McKinnon, Issa Rae, Alexandra Shipp, Emma Mackey, Harry Neff, Sharon Rooney, Anna Cruz, Kane, Ritu Arya, Dua Lipa, Nicola Coughlin, Metnerev, Marissa, Bella, Lucy Boynton, Simu Liu, Kingsley Benadir, Scott Evans, Nikuti Gatwa, John Cena, Rob Brydon, Tom Sarton, America Ferreira, Michael Sarah, Ariana Greenblatt, Rhea Perlman, Helen Mirren, Will Ferrell, Connor Sundellis, Jamie Dimitri, Emerald Fennell, Erica Ford, Anne Roth, Ryan Peter Williams, Lauren Holt. That just about covers it, yeah. <laughs> There's so many names. Um, and it has made just just $1.19 billion. Nothing more. In the business, that's what we call a barbillion. When when a Barbie film makes a billion. There you go. That is that is that is true. Did you know? I hadn't known this. Um Greta Gerwig was approached by Warner Brothers to sign on to Barbie 2 before the movie released. And her, I don't know if it was her agency or her manager, refused to have her give an answer until after they saw the box office returns for Barbie. Yeah, that's absolutely what they should have done. Because now, (laughs) whatever she made on this movie, if they do a sequel, she's going to make way more. (laughs) And it's going to be great. Going to be great for Greta. I mean, she's already doing Narnia. She's she's in big studio land right now. Uh, speaking of Netflix, yes. She's doing two Narnia films for Netflix. We'll see how that goes. Now, this movie deals with stereotypical Barbie, played by Margot Robbie, who realized she is becoming into malfunction. And so she must travel to the real world to figure out what is wrong with the girl who was playing with her and fix the relationship so that she can go back to being stereotypical Barbie. I'm, I'm trying to see what it is that who we should actually mention before we begin to talk about this. Of course, Sarah Greenwood and Katie Spencer, who are the set design and decorator, because the set design in this movie is one of the things to absolutely call out. Also, Jacqueline Duran, who's the costume designer here. Yes. Who, again, absolutely fantastic work. There are an absurd amount of costumes when you factor in just how frequently the Barbies and Kens are having a wardrobe change, so more fantastic work from her. Now, this... We have, I think we should just get into talking about the movie because there, there's nothing else that, that we should really be. I mean, what's, what's Mark Ronson is the one who did the score. That's it. Who people may know from Uptown Funk, which is a Bruno Mars featuring Mark Ronson situation. <laughs> He's not- I thought it was a Mark Ronson featuring Bruno Mars. Uh you know, it might be, but yeah, Ronson is, he's a DJ, he's a producer, he's more known for working at pop music and not for working he, in film. So this is a big He co-wrote debut. Shallow. He has an that's Oscar for right. co-writing Shallow. That's right, Wow, speaking of A Star is Born, speaking of that, that's great. Have uh, have we discussed this, how people are comparing the release of, of Barbie and Oppenheimer to when The Dark Knight and Mamma Mia came out on the same day as having two really big movies from studios that people want to see. But I've actually been comparing it to when A Star is Born and Venom both came out in 2018. Quite a, quite a pair, those two films. Yeah, what's funny is that 
back in the day when we did not have streaming services, we had to go to the theaters, counter-programming happened all the time, where studios would release movies that were different from what other studios were releasing intentionally. So if you have Warner Brothers releasing a big romantic drama, then Universal or Disney or whoever would put out a, a big comedy, or they would put out a horror movie or something like that. Just to, or a war epic. Or a war epic, like yeah, just to attract different types of audiences. And so, of course, the Barbenheimer phenomenon is very funny to observe. There is something very special about it. But it's also funny because this used to be a normal thing in, in prior years, especially before streaming services and um, certain genres kind of going out of style for big budget movies. So It's not that normal because you don't want another studio to take away your screens. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying that this counter-programming strategy happened all the time. Like, The Dark Knight Mamma Mia is one such example where there were a billion dollars worth of people who went to see The Dark Knight, but Mamma Mia was also incredibly financially successful, and the middle of that Venn diagram was not very large, (laughs) to my understanding, you know? I do think the middle of Oppenheimer and Barbie is very large, though. I'm sure, because both of these movies have been incredibly successful, and very much identified with their directors, writers and directors. Because Oppenheimer is a Christopher Nolan movie, and that's what's driving a three-hour historical epic to such incredible box office. And Barbie, of course, is a Greta Gerwig film, and she has proven to not only be a very talented filmmaker, but also somebody who draws people to the box office. Both Lady Bird and Little Women were big financial successes relative to their budgets. I remember we actually were chatting with our, our friends, the Color Brothers, and he was saying he wasn't, one of them was saying they weren't sure, about the financial prospects of Barbie before all of this happened, obviously, <laughs> because he didn't think that Greta Gerwig was a huge box office draw. And I pointed out the fact that Little Women made $200 million at the global box office, <laughs> which surprised him because he had forgotten that. So, yeah, it just, just goes to show how much people care about individual filmmakers still uh, from time to time. Let's go into our opening question. It's, it's the same one that I gave you yesterday. Over $1.1 billion of revenue has been grossed by this movie. This movie has strong legs. It is continuing to make bank at the box office. People are continuing to dress up in pink and go to the movie theaters to watch this movie. What is it about this movie that is attracting so many people to go see it? So I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, Number one, like we were just talking about, I think people really like Greta Gerwig movies. And I think that there are people who have not only gone to see Lady Bird and Little Women in theaters, but people who discovered those over the last few years who just got excited about her work. Barbie's also, of course, it's a big corporate IP. Barbie is a very famous toy. She's a, a doll that children, especially girls, have been playing with for decades. So you have a lot of that brand recognition, and you can't deny that. But uh, you also have the Barbenheimer situation, where those movies were... They, you know, pulled in tons of box office, thankfully, because people were promoting both of them on social media. But I think one of the biggest reasons that I've seen pointed out to the success of Barbie that I really believe in is that Barbie is unabashedly, unashamedly about femininity and targeted towards women. And I think it goes to show that media, be it music, be it movies, whatever, that is targeted towards women is frankly often just very good (laughs) it's a very good idea Uh, i was thinking actually about olivia rodrigo when i was thinking about the success of barbie because i was listening to her new song today and her album she has a new song yes she does it's called bad bad idea right which is her second single of the upcoming album guts so keep your keep your eyes out what was the 
Vampire. What's vampire. The debut vampire. Single? I did like. What was it? Vampire Soul. Some. I don't remember. <laughs> Sing it out, Christian. But Olivia Rodrigo's no, first. No, because there's an F word. Her first album was super successful, and there was even an SNL sketch with a bunch of guys in a that. bar singing yeah, driver's license and, yep. and joking about how this this universal experience, even though it's from the perspective of a teen girl, we can all relate to it, you know? And I think it just goes to show that movies explicitly targeted to and primarily speaking to women can, again, be incredibly financially successful, but also just very good. And it's not to say that there shouldn't be any movies targeted to men or whatever. I I love dudes rock movies. I'm all about it. We just saw Top Gun Maverick, a movie which almost does not feature women at all, except for Jennifer Connelly. We didn't just (laughs) see Top Gun Maverick. It came out one year ago, Christian, and it was a billion-dollar movie. And again, that's a movie that is about men, about men and their relationships to each other, and emotions that men have. You know, it's a it was a very successful movie, primarily targeted towards men. But we also see movies like Barbie that are primarily targeted towards women that just go gangbusters at the box office. And I hope it portends more movies like it, where we see these unashamedly brightly colored, pink, filled with pop music, but very well-made movies like Barbie. And that's what gets people to go see it, because I think people really care about that. And women especially, just as a target demographic from a marketing perspective, will show up to the theater and go see movies like this together. I am going to repeat what I said yesterday to you, which is the point in the trailer where it made me think I must go watch this movie is when they are driving and uh, all of a sudden she swerves the car. Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling are driving. She swerves the car. The car looks like it's being picked up and flipped over. That is what the flip looks like. And when I saw that, I thought, that is a movie that says, hey, aren't movies cool? Look at what movies can do. I can't fully speak to the femininity of it, though. Yeah, you know, it's a movie that's really, really bright pink. You know what other movies, like Pretty Bright Pink, which people also, despite it not even being on a streaming service, but on video on demand, people rented during the pandemic? Promising Young Woman. I don't think we talk enough about how much Promising Young Woman, against all odds, people were like, I want to check out what this movie is saying about sexual dynamics. Of course, Promising Young Woman's writer and director, Emerald Fennell, is featured in this movie in a small role as Midge, the pregnant Barbie. Which And Emerald Fennell has her own movie, Saltburn, that's coming out later this year. Yes, she's coming back, folks. I, I think what when you point out that moment in the trailer where the car flips and it, and it looks like people have – like a kid playing with it has picked up the car and flipped it. And that's kind of the, the aesthetic that they pull off. I think pointing out that is so key because from the trailers, you could tell that this movie that took its craft extremely seriously – And I think there's a growing trend of people getting tired of action movies that are extremely reliant on CGI. And you've seen Marvel movies. There have been very successful Marvel movies released in post-Endgame. So this isn't to say that all Marvel movies post-Endgame are bad or all of them have had poor audience reception. But you are starting to see this slow general downtrend for big superhero movies with this over-reliance on CGI, and I think audiences at at large are getting sick of it. Obviously, there will always be an audience for superhero movies. That doesn't mean they should stop making them. It just means that, as a trend, we can maybe start to observe this. And I think people recognize that the actual craft of building these sets, envisioning Barbie Land, and creating the Barbie dream houses, and bringing them to life, 
designing all of these Barbie costumes, drawing on real accessories for the dolls from over the years, of course, and creating some new costumes as well. And putting in all of that practical work in the filmmaking as well, using camera tricks and, and trying to limit the use of CGI where possible and visual effects really, not just CGI, to, to really make this feel like a lived-in handmade film. I think people recognize that and it shows that there's still audience demand for these types of movies. Oppenheimer 2, you know, there was so much made of Christopher Nolan saying that they recreated the the trinity test practically they obviously didn't ignite a nuclear weapon but they did pull off that explosion practically they they talked so much in the build-up to that movie in the press about how nolan is committed to shooting on film is committed to practical effects and limiting cgi and vfx where possible i think there's still a real audience hunger for these types of movies especially as we've now gotten over 15 years really of uh, often very good but but also very digital and plasticky superhero movies and other big budget spectacles so I, I really think that that could be the start of another wave of these types of movies in theaters people really want to see practical filmmaking and it's wonderful to see i mean even from the 2001 a space odyssey lifting up of the barbie <laughs> the, op- the opening the air, yeah the opening <laughs> I was and, I was cracking up at that in my audience when we saw it. I think it may have been the only one, but I thought it was very funny. People haven't seen 2001 Space Odyssey. <laughs> sad, sad but true. Okay, now we've okay we we've talked about what it is about this movie. You know that I love the directing of this movie, and I think that the script has several flaws to it. Yes, I. I asked Christian, uh, I asked you before I saw these movies and after you had seen them, because I wasn't able to go opening weekend, I asked you, how would you score them on a scale from one to 10, just combining them? So obviously if they're both flat out masterpieces, 10 stars, but if one was good, one was bad, I wouldn't actually know your thoughts because you like to hold that back for when we record so we can kind of keep our discussions for here. And you said seven between the two. And I did see after we talked about Oppenheimer, you rated it four stars. And so I figured Barbie was a three-star movie, and you surprised me by saying that it's actually gone up slightly in your estimations since uh, it's a three your and a half watch. star movie. Yeah, and we also agree. I, I don't know. To we agree with this to different extents, but the first act of the movie, which is in Barbie Land, and the third act of the movie, which is in Barbie Land, I think are wonderful. During the second act of the movie, I don't understand the rules of how they're trying to tie Barbie Land into the real world. I, I'm not a fan of Will Ferrell's performance in this. I think the Ryan Gosling as Beach Ken stuff in the real world is, is wonderful. When to him, honestly, masculinity is just about horses. And, Love it. And brewski beers, Christian. And brewski beers. Gotta get those brewski beers here on Cinema on Tap. <laughs> and brewski beers. It is. It is wonderful. I, I don't get the Mattel stuff. I don't get the relationship of the people who are playing with these Barbies and how many Barbies there actually are in Barbie land. And I, I, I didn't tell this to you before. I'm not a fan of the cinematography in the real world. It doesn't pop to me the way that the pink in Barbie land popped, of course. But I do think that there are better ways in which you can shoot the real world because it 
it looked significantly different. I'm sure that was extremely intentional. So. I don't know. No, 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 no. There, there's it. It 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 did kind of look like it was shot on video. I don't entirely agree. I, I don't think it looked like a like a richly shot on film 70 millimeter experience, but that is not something I necessarily would have critiqued about the middle section where I would have, I have some problems with the writing as well, but Rodrigo Prieto is a cinematographer here. He's worked with Scorsese. He's worked with Inuritu. He's worked with a lot of notable filmmakers and his cinematography here, I just in general, whether in Barbie land or in the real world, I think does not really pop. This is not a movie that is trying to draw a lot of attention to camera tricks. It's, much more focused on the performances on the, and the production the sets and the production. Yeah. So this, I mean, this is not his best work for sure. It's not bad work at all. In my opinion, it's just, he's serving the film uh, and doing what he thought best. Now. So Margot Robbie discovers that she is malfunctioning. And so she needs to go to weird Barbie who is played by Kate McKinnon in order to figure out what it is that she should be doing. We didn't get a ton of time to talk about Margot Robbie's performance, but Margot Robbie is giving such a nice, nuanced performance, and it's kind of subtle. Honestly, it there's not huge like Bar. I feel like all of the other Barbies are much more up, um, um are much more like flagrant, cartoonish, flagrant. almost cartoonish, like, silly. Yeah. Then her, she she feels like the most down-to-earth one and yet still is is putting on this vulnerability that i guess i wouldn't have expected this stereotypical barbie to have yeah i 100 percent agree there i think it's a phenomenal performance she is so funny at times and gets a lot of great lines courtesy of gerwig and bombach but she also really does pull off these vulnerable moments that that you're pointing out and one of the most significant scenes in the movie to me is is this montage that happens closer to the end of the film. So maybe we can talk about it closer to the end of our conversation. But it's this moment where there's uh, a song that kicks in and there's a lot of big songs on the soundtrack. But a song by Billie Eilish called What Was I Made For that kicks in. And it's, it is it is about what it sounds like. It's Eilish as the singer singing and asking these questions of her about identity and her place in the world. And it's during this moment where Barbie is talking to someone wondering about her identity and her place in the world if she can't be stereotypical Barbie. And Robbie, despite being hilarious in the moments where she needs to be, never loses that that emotional resonance and that soulfulness that I wasn't expecting from the Barbie movie. So, yeah, it's a truly great performance here. I'd love to see people continue to talk about her going into other times of the year when we start reflecting and thinking about the best performances it's it's also when we talk about (laughs) when we talk about one of the themes of this movie we talk about what it means to live and there's a monologue that rail perlman has in this movie about the difference between humans and ideas that ideas live forever but humans kind of live to be forgotten and the only way for a human to live on is through the ideas that they've been able to make or have. Which, when you look at this, it, it, it's a very sobering reality of what, how does that affect you? What exact purpose do you have? And what are the pros then of humanity if you're living to be forgotten eventually? Which is something that that song exemplifies 
so so well and the the montage that plays while that song is going is is i don't know if it's simply a montage of greta gerwig's life but i know that several of the cast and crew gave in home video footage and the that is the home video footage that was spliced together yeah that's that's the moment i was talking about it, it's so touching to listen to this conversation that Perlman and Robbie are having and listen to the song and then and then go from the candy-coated world of Barbie land into not just the whimsical and silly real world that we get in this movie where Will Ferrell is hamming it up, but to go into actually the real world outside of the movie to the world that we live in and observe that, that footage of real people's you know, their selves or their sisters, their moms, their grandmothers, etc. It's it just felt so special to to hammer home some of the feelings that stereotypical Barbie <laughs> is exploring in this movie. These themes of identity, but but also feminine identity. What does it mean to be a woman and what does it mean to to find your way in the world? Just really it touched me in a, a very serious way. I really appreciated it. In Barbie Land, it is an all-woman-run area. We got a matriarchy, so, folks. President Barbie. We, have, we got a Supreme Court filled with Barbies. No Kens allowed. The construction <laughs> workers are all Barbies. Yes. <laughs> the Kens don't have real jobs, and the Kens live in relationship to what Barbies are doing. Basically, they all are just trying to get Barbie's attention. Yeah, poor poor Ryan Gosling as Beach Ken is desperate for stereotypical Barbie's attention. And he has a rivalry of sorts with Simu Liu, who is competing for her affections as well. And you see the ways that the other Kens all try to get attention unsuccessfully from their Barbies. And, of course, the parallel to how that is the way which women have lived for such a long time is apparent. But what I think is really interesting is when Ryan Gosling finally gets to the real world and discovers what masculinity is and what a patriarchy is. Because he doesn't comprehend it, but it is the only escape that he could find because nothing else was presented to him. And kind of the love with which Ken was written and created he thinks that his only real ideal is to be there with Barbie and he needs to be coaxed out of that so that he can actually flourish so that he can truly live up to his potential and Ryan Gosling is both playing a vulnerable character he is a comedic force to be reckoned with He's a great dancer. He's given a musical number. He gets a full-blown musical number, folks. I'm just Ken. Have you heard of it? <laughs> I, I, I did not think Ryan Gosling had this in him. What, which is what's funny is that he was like in the Mickey Mouseketeer, Mickey Mouse Club, whatever it was called, when he was a kid. He got his start singing and dancing before starting to act in non-musical roles. And he's a, he was in La La Land, which won a bunch of Oscars, got him an Oscar nomination. But I remember at the time, one of the criticisms people had for La La Land is that he and Emma Stone weren't the strongest singers and dancers. So it's funny that people don't necessarily associate that with him when, of course, he certainly has the, the chops to pull it off. And the I'm Just Ken song, aside from being a fantastic performance and just this great like power ballad <laughs> coming late in the movie, also is perfectly worked around these themes like you're talking about where 
Ken, much like Barbie, is trying to figure out his place in the world. And he, under the matriarchy, is left to pine unsuccessfully for Barbie. And so he discovers patriarchy in the real world and brings that back with him to Barbie land. And things are, it, it just messes up things in the entirely opposite way. And he and stereotypical Barbie both get to search for their identity. And he sings about it, which Margot Robbie doesn't get to do. So shout out Gosling. He's great. There's... There's so many great performances in this. Everyone is working at the top of their game. And America Ferreira also, who most people know. I mean, I knew America Ferreira from Superstore. I, I know that she was the lead in Ugly Betty, but I've never seen Ugly Betty. Superstore was where I'm like, oh, she's funny. She is great. But here she's also given such a, a, a deep perspective on... She's given the big monologue as to what is wrong in the world with with how it treats women. And it's it's a monologue that is so incredibly on the nose. And yes, we get it. It's on the nose. I've heard two arguments in support of this monologue. I don't agree with one, but I agree with the other. One is sometimes it is okay to just plainly state what it is that is wrong in the world because you don't want to be nuanced about it. You kind of just want to say that there's something wrong and have other people know that that's where you're coming from. Two, it's also really campy. Her monologue is incredibly camp. And her monologue is what wakes up Barbie from this like spell that the Kens have put them on. And by using it, they're like, yeah, we do rule the world. Which... The fact that this that the end of this movie is a restoration of the matriarchy Indeed it is. <laughs> is like hysterical. Because it's it's not like trying to diss the Kens. This is not at all a man hating movie. And the people who have seen this and thought that I don't know what movie y'all are watching. But it 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 is like um it, it, it's weird in that that's that's how funny it is about the real world. That in the real world Guess what? Women are still not at all treated equally. But men aren't just giving up their power. And that parallel is is really funny. And I think this movie is at its best when it is doing all this commentary through jokes. Yeah, I I think that particular monologue, I know it's really struck a chord with with some uh, some people who've seen the movie and it's also had some pushback for exactly what you said of how flatly blunt it is <laughs> and how obvious it may seem. And another, similarly to, to what you were talking about, where the argument that you heard was uh, that sometimes it's okay just to say things as and, and say them plainly, say them without nuance. And I agree there where sometimes, you know, not every movie has to be a, a high high-level graduate course in in gender dynamics sometimes you can just say the entry-level way of saying something and in the moment you know and, and look like i i'm a guy you're a guy we're, we're fellas we're, we're boys <laughs> and wait what yeah i know surprise and so of course there's it's easier for us maybe to feel like that moment is hitting us over the head but I came around to appreciate it, not just for the conviction with which America Ferreira delivers that monologue. I think it's a very, very well-performed scene, whether or not you actually like the monologue. 
But I think it's also, again, thematically great because the point is that Barbie Land, before all of this mess, is a matriarchy where the Kens pine after the Barbies unsuccessfully. And when Gosling's Ken brings patriarchy back to Barbie Land, he inverts it so that it becomes this weird patriarchy where now the Barbies are purely serving and pining after the Kens. And the point is that, you know, both extremes are not ideal. And so this (laughs) very plain and aggressive almost speech about how hard it is to be a woman as delivered by America Ferreira is what's used to wake these Barbies up from their stupors almost that they're in. And then they find their way to, to fix things as it were. And I think that's just funny enough that this monologue about all of the problems that there are uh, attached to being a woman, all the challenges and the difficulties is is what saves the day in a way it it fixes the brainwashing. (laughs) Those are my main thoughts on Barbie. I'm not sure if there's anything you wanted to touch on before we talk about the month as a whole. So let's see here. Uh, Some rapid fire thoughts on Barbie. Well, you talked about Will Ferrell and how you didn't really like his performance. What about it didn't work for you? I I know when we talked yesterday, you had some more problems with the writing that we didn't necessarily get into today just because that's how conversation works. But what about Ferrell didn't work for you? Because I've seen a lot of people praise his performance, praise, praise the humor and the comedic chops that he brings to something like this so what didn't work for you as cartoonish as many of these barbies and kens are it felt like he was that but on steroids and i don't know i think i i i I guess like a like a cartoony villain i would enjoy but it it his character didn't make sense to me which is more a fault i think of the writing in how mad he got at barbie for escaping the real world but not entirely sure how that affects his sales he also wasn't fully capitalist which like when the mojo dojo casa houses were selling and he was upset at that because it was selling because of ken and not because of barbie i didn't get it I, 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 and him leading the people out in order to take them to Barbie land, it didn't feel like he had great motivation. It felt like he was giving me the same character the whole time and that his character didn't have an arc to it. And I do think the script kind of wanted him to either have an arc or to help out with the resolution of Barbie by the end, or at least be okay with it. And it felt like he was just doing a scene, then doing a scene, then doing a scene instead of me seeing the journey that he is realizing because of what Barbie has done. While I don't necessarily think that side characters in a comedy necessarily need a character arc, <laughs> I agree with a lot of what you're saying in that his character feels pretty pretty out of place and very silly and very whimsical. And if he were somehow the CEO of Mattel within Barbie land, it would make perfect sense. But they're trying to set up the fact that the real world is not like Barbie land but then the real world is often as whimsical as Barbie land. And it just gets a little bit muddled in terms of the way that that section of the movie builds on the the themes of the otherwise strong first and third acts. And especially because we get not only Gloria, who's America Ferreira's character in the real world, but we get her daughter, Sasha. And there's this mix up where Robbie's Barbie thinks that Sasha is this girl who's playing with her in the real world who's sad and so she has to go find her and restore their connection and that's what will fix her malfunctioning but actually it's Gloria and they get this great moment of realization there that feels very real and 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 feels 
very i guess more naturally integrated into the into the film and into the reality of the quote-unquote real world whereas the silliness of Farrell and his Mattel board of executives feels out of place because I thought we were getting something serious in the real world that affects the whimsicalness of Barbie land. It, it didn't entirely work for me. And I agree that by the end of the movie, when Farrell shows up again, you're just like, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, why do we need your character to be here? I think we could have left you in the real world. So I do agree there that it, it's just not the strongest element of the movie. And it felt like we could have handled the real world and the Mattel uh, connections differently. That's the end of our discussion. Shout out to Barbie, folks. A movie that I am very positive on. And Christian was once mildly positive on and, and now is moderately positive on. <laughs> at least according to star ratings. So that's exciting to see. And if you haven't seen Barbie, which seems unlikely at this point considering it's a billion dollar movie. But if you haven't seen it, we'd both recommend you do. Given what we have just discussed given the fact that we are done with our keg that's right tapped it for this month we've tapped out our keg for the month folks it's time to reflect i'm gonna switch up the questions that i'm giving you first question we did go through yesterday pair a drink with every single one of these movies what drink do you pair up with them here we go question so with barbie obviously i mean you can go one of two ways where you can get just a very large oversized sugary cocktail yesterday you said pina colada i think that's a great example i would also say that everyone that you're watching with gets their own individual bottle of rosé that feels like that could work as well great movie to watch rosé with rosé is pink barbie wears pink it's great when it comes to mission impossible dead reckoning part one which we did cover a couple weeks ago, although it's not part of Barbenheimer. It's still still represented in our keg for the month here. I would probably just pair a nice, sturdy, tasty beer. Not not a light beer, you know. We're not looking for that. We're looking for something for something stronger. Maybe maybe a nice lager or I'm trying to think here. Maybe like a nice Blue Moon. I don't, that's a bit, little bit lighter, a little bit sweeter uh, of a taste. But you know, just something sturdy there. And when it comes to Oppenheimer, I would say a nice bourbon. You know, you want you want to get a bottle of something nice, not like overly expensive. You know, don't don't make your wallet hurt, but don't go for the Jack Daniels or the Bullet. You know, you you want something nice middle shelf. You know, maybe maybe like a, a Blanton's, something like that. Get yourself a couple pours, maybe one pour an hour for Oppenheimer, so you get three pours. They really savor it over the duration of that movie. That's that's how I'd go. What about you? So I I maintain the pina colada for Barbie. For Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, hazy double IPA. I actually think the drink that we had with Elias when we were discussing that movie was perfect. It was, uh, it was a tasty movie. Or tasty tasty beer. Tasty movie as well. <laughs> it was a tasty movie. <laughs> tasty beer. And for Oppenheimer, I maintain we need we need a dark beer. We need a stout or a porter. Give me some Guinness, honestly. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that does make sense. I think that would pair nicely with Oppenheimer. Another question that I have for you. Give me just one reason to see each movie. Basically, who won the movie for each one of them? <laughs> Here we go. One. So when you say one reason, do you want like a, a thought out reason or do you want a more who won the movie style? Like a person who worked on the movie? It can be an actor, a person who worked on the movie, a needle drop, a scene. 
Okay, okay. Because that, like, for Barbie, for example, I would say because you should see it because it's hilarious and touching. Oh, I got it. 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 Okay. Oh, man, this is great. So on the drink that you are giving these individuals, on that bottle of bourbon you are giving for Oppenheimer or that rosé you're giving for Barbie, there's going to be a picture on that bottle of something in the movie. That is the main reason they should go see it. What picture goes on that bottle? Okay, so the picture on the bottle for Barbie is Margot Robbie in her cowboy hat and pink cowboy getup standing at the middle school cafeteria doing that big pose that she's doing right before Sasha calls her a fascist. (laughs) (laughs) Makes me laugh. Margot Robbie is absolutely the MVP of that. I mean, maybe have Greta Gerwig like peeking out from behind uh, a locker as well. I mean, I think... I think Gerwig, in a way, is is more key to the overall success of the movie. But I think Robbie is is she's just fantastic. She's a true blue movie star, man. I, I think she's so great. When it comes to Mission Impossible, obviously it's Tom Cruise. Uh, with any Mission Impossible movie at this point, Cruise as the producer star is a, a, an essentially co-writer, co-director, even though he's not credited in that way. He's the one. I mean, it. You you cannot. I, people have talked about the possibility of doing some more Mission Impossible movies without him. There was originally an idea to have him exit the series and have Jeremy Renner take over. And Renner notably appears in Ghost Protocol, I think, and then doesn't appear after that because that plan didn't no, he, work. He he appears in Rogue Nation in like the background. Okay, so he shows up again, but he doesn't get to remain a key part of the series but it's just cruise and i hope that the franchise ends for a while before before they try to reboot it or whatever because i don't i cannot see them without him and when it comes to oppenheimer i mean killian murphy is so damn key to that movie and his incredible performance is what makes the movie work in many respects because he's in almost every scene but i think nolan is is the out and out mvp and it just goes to show that this guy is so beloved by the average film goer he's one of the few directors who still has name recognition with a capital n and a capital r that he and his just his skill on display is unbelievable as as a practical filmmaker but i think as a writer too because he does not have a co-writer on this film and yet he wrestles a massive biography into a, a you know three-hour historical epic that is excitingly and invigoratingly told telling this strange controversial chapter in american history covering this controversial figure i mean he to me is no doubt the mvp of that movie it's hard to imagine anybody else directing uh, writing perhaps but directing that movie i can't think of anybody else who could have pulled it off the way he did for barbie on your pina colada it is going to be that picture of ken holding up barbie except that instead of barbie it's greta gerwig <laughs> No, my MVPs are Ryan Gosling and Greta Gerwig. Also, I never understood the Ryan Gosling is attractive thing until I saw him as Ken. What are we talking about here, Christian? Come I, I, on. I'll, okay, okay, okay. Ryan, I don't know. Ryan Gosling. We're gonna not do my type. a Ryan Gosling blend of the month, and we're gonna watch the Notebook. I'd be so down, and I'm gonna I'd, I'd be really down. <laughs> but I'm down because of this movie. Oh my goodness! You, you, you know me. I'm more of a Bradley Cooper person. Yeah, sure, but those guys, I mean, their look is very similar. They've appeared in some movies together. I mean, come on. <laughs> Remember when you found out minutes before we were watching Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, or before we discussed Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, that I had gone on a date and that 
you were really upset that I hadn't told you sooner. Yeah, I was extremely offended you hadn't told me that information. We see each other every week, at least once a week, if not more. We text most days, honestly. <laughs> like The fact that you couldn't have just brought that up, I mean, tisk tisk. What, what did I do that's wrong? Okay. Um, no, that's okay. No, that's okay. Don't worry about her. <laughs> Now, I uh, hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. Honestly, she might. I'm not sure. Now, for 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 Oppenheimer, for Oppenheimer, what we're putting on that stout, we are putting a picture of the Trinity test. Just the explosion, the mushroom cloud, the explosion. Because I, I mean, maybe, maybe you know how the poster is Killian Murphy like standing with his suit in front of the fire. Yeah. I think it should be Christopher Nolan standing in front of that fire because it's it's Christopher Nolan's direction, but also that that Trinity test to me is a really basic answer to say it's what won the movie for me. It's the best part of the movie. And for Mission Impossible Directing Part 1, it's a picture of Haley Atwell and Tom Cruise doing their little, like, donuts in the yellow Fiat. Amen. Amen. I mean, Haley Atwell is the real MVP. I mean, really, the beautiful women are the real MVPs of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. But we do have to say Tom Cruise, just like, obviously, or whatever. <laughs> but how, how did you like that? That we pair up a drink with every single movie and we put a picture on the drink? I mean, like this this rendition. It might get more difficult to do the more that we do this, but who knows? Maybe maybe my creativity will win the day, and I'll think of new new drinks and new MVPs for the movies as time goes on. <laughs> really, it's less of a trust. It's not so much a lack of trust in the question, but in myself and not being able to think of more things than a bourbon, a cocktail, or a beer. <laughs> so, all right, we'll see. Scott, tell the people what we're going to be doing next week. That's right, folks. So, our, te- our, our keg, rather, is tapped for the month of August, but we're not done looking back. Of course, all of these movies are July releases that we're talking about in August. We're, in fact, going to look back at the entire year as we do our normal episode, Top 5 of the Year So Far. It's been a good year, especially a lot of big franchise movies have been very successful have made a lot of money have made made us very happy and so been a very good year for the movies and i'm looking forward to reflecting on it with you next week christian and we'll be bringing back friend of the show nick viner who's making his his uh his third appearance a a trinity test of its own perhaps his, his third appearance here on the show so we've enjoyed having nick on in the past and we'll be looking forward to seeing his top five as well see how it differs from ours should be a good time so, fit in some movies from 2023 that you haven't seen yet, folks. We'll be doing that over the next week and getting caught up on the year before we talk about our favorites next week on the show. Exit us out, Scott. All right, get to keep wrapping this show up because, of course, that is the end of our show. And if, if you – I can't talk. If you've reached this point, we appreciate you listening. And there are, of course, a few things that you can continue to do to support the show. Number one, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Helps us grow on those platforms and reach new listeners. If you're able, leave us a rating or a review. It brings a smile to my face and warmth in my heart to see those reviews come in. We have a perfect five-star rating on Spotify from the six folks who have gone out of their way to give us a review. So thank you for that. Would love to see that number grow from six to seven to, you know, a hundred or <laughs> whatever. So it would be great to see that. And we'd appreciate to it. A if billion. You can. To a billion. I want a barbillion reviews. 
you of course can also send us an email we appreciate all listener feedback for the show helps us keep things on track make sure that we're talking about movies that you want to hear conversations about and you can send us an email to cinema on tap podcast at gmail.com Got a shout out friend of the show, Paul Gonzalez, who has appeared. Speaking of Mission Impossible, he appeared on our Mission Impossible Fallout episode in the past. Paul is a very good friend of the show, and he was the first one in a Cinema on Tap podcast email inbox. So we greatly appreciate you, Paul. Thanks for reaching out. And we'll be looking forward to more listener feedback. So if you have an idea for a keg that you want us to tap later on this year, or if you have a favorite movie from 2023 that you want to give your shout out to next week as we talk about some of the best of the year so far would love to see that in the email inbox so let us know your thoughts you can also follow myself and the show on twitter we have that brand new cinema on tap twitter account up and running and you can follow christian on instagram as well as the both of us on letterboxd where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching you can finally see christian give a star rating to barbie i've been waiting waiting and waiting for it to happen but it's going to. It's going to be a big day. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? Yeah. Uh, my friend Henry is premiering tomorrow a, the first episode of an animated show he has been working on called Bunny Man. Bunny Man? And Bunny Man, yes, it's about a bunny that adopts a baby carrot. <laughs> and he's a superhero. And he's a superhero. Great. I love it. So, no, so Henry, great friend. If you ever are ever, I think that Benny Man will eventually make its way to YouTube or some general viewing platform. So if anyone is ever able to look that up, please do so. Henry is someone who I am keeping on reserve to bring on the show. <laughs> Maybe I'll bring him and Elias over so that we can talk about the best animated movies of the 21st century. We're keeping Henry on ice. I'm sorry, Henry, if you're out there. I, I appreciate when Christian brings folks onto the show. He's gotten more guests than I have, that's for sure. But Henry has not made the cut. Dang. What What are you... I'm waiting for the best episode to bring him <laughs> on. <laughs> I know. Notably, this is our first episode this month where it's just been the two of us, and that's only going to last for this week because we have Nick coming on next week. So we like our friends of the show here at Cinema Drip, but uh, of course, sometimes it's nice just to have the two of us talking about movies. It'd be nicer if we were in person. It would be nicer if we're in person, and hopefully we can get back to that moving forward. There are some obvious uh, unfortunate reasons why we have not been able to record in person over recent weeks, but hopefully we can rectify that going forward. And now I get to see Meg 2. And now Christian's going to go see the, the Meg 2. I'm going to make dinner and not watch the Meg 2 and probably be better for it. And until next time, this has been Cinema on Tap. Thanks for listening.